From public disasters to personal demons, our patients and post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, your host, and with me today is Dr. Don Hudson. Dr. Hudson is a psychiatrist, retired Air Force medical officer, and aeromedical advisor to the Airline Pilots Association, the largest pilot union in the world. He comes to us today from Denver, Colorado. Today, we're discussing PTSD, treatment, and referral. Thanks for uh, being with us today, Don. Maybe we could start out by talking about what the essential features are of PTSD. The essential feature of PTSD is the development of a characteristic symptom profile following exposure to an extreme traumatic stressor or event, usually involving actual or threatened death or dismemberment of yourself or another person. In civilian life, that often involves a family member or close associate. Traditionally, how has PTSD been recognized and treated outside of the military? I know we normally think about the military, but what about outside of that? Well, historically, it's important to remember that the military services and the Veterans Administration have been the lead agencies in both the diagnostic recognition and treatment of PTSD, so they have uh, pioneered most of the treatments. Now, most of that stems from experience uh, during and after the Vietnam War. Before that, it was uh, known more as combat stress and other stressor kind of uh, situations in combat. But it also spawned recognition that a similar symptom profile develops in civilian life when exposed to these extreme stressors. So today, if we're providing primary care out here in the world, what patients might present with that? I think for primary care providers today, there's a number of groups who are at extra risk for developing post-traumatic stress disorder, and that would include military people who are returning from the combat areas, uh, because as you know, right now a lot of the burden of of combat is being shouldered by our citizen soldiers in the Guard and Reserve. So these people are reintegrating back into civilian life, and they might present with symptoms. Also, immigrants from countries where there's a, a lot of social unrest or civil war are at increased risk for developing this syndrome. Rape victims, victims of domestic assault or other physical assaults uh, in civilian life, the aftermath of natural disasters or even severe motor vehicle accidents. And then there are a couple of occupational groups who are routinely at extra risk, and that would include policemen, firemen, and uh, healthcare first responders. So if we see patients who maybe we make a preliminary diagnosis of PTSD, should all of these folks receive treatment? If not, which patients should be treated? Well, like any other clinical syndrome, there's a spectrum of severity of the condition. However, if you do recognize and make the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, um, all of those patients should be treated. For those who have mild to moderate symptoms, That can be done really with group and individual psychotherapy. For those who have uh, more severe symptoms that are very, very disruptive to their lives, uh, that normally would require a combination of psychotherapy and uh, also use of psychotropic uh, medications. But they should all be treated. And in your experience, or let's say in your opinion as a psychiatrist, is that care that a primary care provider could do? 
Has it been done? Is it effective at that level? Or do you think we need to take it up a notch? I think for most providers in a primary care situation, it would be very difficult to treat PTSD by yourself or in that setting. Uh, That would normally require uh, referral to uh, psychiatric professionals. Could you take us through what that might look like? Uh, You've seen, uh, say, a pilot, and you've made that diagnosis of PTSD, and he's referred for treatment. What might he experience? How long might it take? Uh, How successful could it be? Some of that would depend, obviously, on the uh, severity of his condition. But if the person had mild to, uh, to, to moderate severity disease, that could typically be addressed with reasonably short-term psychotherapy, either as a group or sometimes as an individual, in the neighborhood of uh, 10 to 12 sessions, and with a concentration on uh, reducing the hypervigilance kind of symptoms that you get and the sleep disruption that you often get with PTSD. Uh, But you can expect that it would be uh, reasonably successful. Most people who are employed and working at the time the treatment is being done would usually take somewhere in the neighborhood of two to three months to successfully treat. Would you advise that they continue to work in a safety-sensitive business while they're receiving treatment? That would, again, depend a bit on the severity of their symptoms. In mild to mild to moderate cases, they should be able to continue to work. Uh, even in a safety-sensitive position. But if they're having more severe symptoms, that would be very difficult. If you've made the diagnosis of PTSD, could you maybe describe for us the spectrum of symptoms, what you would consider mild and what you would consider severe, maybe based upon some of the cases you've actually seen? It's important to remember the characteristic symptoms. There's three really main symptoms that need to be present in every case. And that's uh, the number one is persistent, unwanted re-experiencing of the traumatic event. The second one is persistent avoidance of stimuli that are associated with the traumatic event or remind the person of that event. And the third is really persistent symptoms of increased arousal, sometimes called hypervigilance. You're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn, and I'm speaking with Dr. Don Hudson, and we're discussing PTSD treatment and referral. Don, we just talked briefly about the three elements that were most important, and so if you put those together for mild and severe disease, how does, how does that look to us? Generally speaking, it's, it has to do with both the frequency that the person is experiencing the symptoms and also their intensity. To give you an example, the persistent unwanted re-experiencing of the event or segments of the event itself really is it's almost like an emotional tape that plays back in the person's mind where they can um, they can literally zone out and their attention to details around them while they're experiencing this can go way down. And that can happen once or twice a day or in more severe cases it, it can happen 40 to 50 times per day. And you can see where these kind of memories are also very emotional memories so they're very disruptive when they do occur. So if they're recurring a lot and they're very intense, uh, it makes it very difficult to work in that setting. And are you optimistic about treatment success even in the more severe cases? Yes, I am. Uh, There's no question that more severe cases typically take more time to resolve, and you may have to use a number of different modalities of treatment, including psychotherapy, psychotropic medication, and um, other more specialized treatment like EMDR and uh, information processing therapies of various kinds. But It may take longer, but 
if you, if you persist, um, the vast majority of these patients will get much better. Let's take this over to some more specific issues and, and disasters. Let's talk about 9-11 a little bit. You were uh, in your current position at the time of 9-11. Maybe take us through what you were thinking about your population on that day and, and maybe what's transpired since then. Of course, uh, 9-11 was a very traumatic event for the, uh, the entire country and I dare say the world, but particularly for airline pilots, um, it was extremely traumatic. And part of that had to do with the fact that the uh, professional pilots' uh, anti-hijacking training, if you will, to that point, really emphasized that if hijackers took over the airplane or, you know, were in the cockpit and in control, you know, there were a bunch of different methods to use, but basically you didn't necessarily want to try to confront the hijackers. You wanted to get the plane down on the ground as soon as possible in a safe place where then professional negotiators could take take control. Obviously, in 9-11, uh, the hijackers... Uh, did not really want to go anywhere other than than death. And so, in a sense, the training that the professional pilots had received betrayed them on that occasion, and and that has left a lasting impact with our group. Since that time, uh, we have seen an increase um, in post-traumatic stress disorder among pilots. Now, I have to tell you, on on that evening, that Tuesday evening, I sat down and, and literally wrote down what I thought we would see in terms of increased cases of acute stress reaction, depression, and PTSD, my estimates turned out to be on the high side uh, of that, but we did see an increase. Any thought as to why you haven't seen as much as you experienced? My thought in terms of our population is that, fortunately, we had in place um, a number of different pilot committees and a lot of airlines uh, worked with the union in this respect to do what we call crisis intervention therapy. And um, and that at least gave a chance for folks who were having trouble, especially right after the attacks, to have some uh, some contact right away with people and professionals, uh, so that they, if they did develop serious symptoms, they got help quickly, as opposed to the symptom uh, syndrome becoming entrenched and present for many months before persons uh, sought treatment. So it sounds like early uh, recognition and early treatment is important and clinically beneficial here. No question about that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move to another thing that uh, is more recent in our memories, the uh, bridge collapse in Minneapolis. Given what you know about the disease, what do you think the fallout from that's going to be in terms of pathology of, and, and who that pathology might be represented in? Well, uh, obviously in a tragedy uh, uh, like that, there are certain groups who will be at increased risk for developing PTSD. The number one group would be survivors of the event itself who were on the bridge or close to it when it did collapse. The next group, I think, would be witnesses uh, who were maybe in no imminent danger themselves, but actually witnessed the the horrific uh, collapse of the bridge. In addition to that, the other people who are at increased risk will be first responders like fire, police, and uh, and healthcare workers who who rush to the scene. Those people will be at increased risk. It doesn't mean they're going to definitely develop post-traumatic stress disorder, and, and I'm sure that the uh, Minnesota authorities are, uh, are well aware of that in handling that situation. I know you have a very specific population that you deal with. Do you have any knowledge of the sort of general level of awareness and, let's say, ability to deal with these either in government or, the, let's say, the Veterans Administration or the military? Any sense that this is a disease which is well established and understood, or do you think we need more work on this? 
from the military perspective, the military services are very aware of it, and that's the good news. The bad news is uh, they are seeing a lot of it uh, and other kind of acute stress reactions and other mental health problems uh, from folks who serve in the combat theater. They're well aware of it and uh, I think are doing a fairly reasonable job of uh, diagnosis and then referring those folks uh, for treatment. On the civilian side, um, there is increased awareness of this condition, and that's particularly true in certain professions like police and fire and healthcare first responders. Uh, so there's a lot more awareness uh, than there was even 10, 15 years ago. I'd like to thank Dr. Don Hudson, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing PTSD, treatment, and referral. I'm Dr. Gary Cohn. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals.